Welcome to the weekly show about art, politics, and pop culture from a phenomenally female perspective. I'm Eliane. I'm Shante. I'm Sarah. I'm Lauren Ashley. I'm Katie. And this is Unapologetically She. Welcome to another episode of Unapologetically She. This is Eliane. This week, Sarah will be bringing us our drink of the week. I will be moderating this week's Shot and Chaser. We'll be interviewing Dr. Candace Rouser. Katie is bringing the facts in Misinformation War Room. Shantae will be bringing those receipts. And Sarah will reveal this week's Bitch Ass and Badass of the Week. So let's get started with Sarah. Tell us our drink of the week. Our drink of the week, I will caveat this by saying this was completely random. I was out of wine and I was having my weekly wine chat with my friend Kevin, who is one of our top Patreons, by the way. So, hey, boo. Um, (laughs) So I ran out of wine and I was um, needing a drink for our chat. And so I just decided to put stuff together. And the green unicorn is what I came up with. So what it is, is one part green apple vodka. Regular vodka is fine if you don't have green apple. One part uh, Midori, two parts roses, infusions, uh, green apple, sour sour apple, or commonly used for apple teenies, and one of the Polar Seltzer Junior cans of Unicorn Kisses, and garnish with either a maraschino cherry or a strawberry, and that's your green unicorn. And we'll send it back over to you, Elliot. I'm so excited for this one. Okay. So this week's shot and chaser. I love this segment, you guys. So for the listeners who are new to the show, our shot and chaser top uh, segment is really a surprise impromptu uh topic and reaction. So none of us know what the other will be discussing. The shot is the topic that the co-host presents and the chaser is our reaction to it. So we're going to start off this week with Shantae. What do you got for us? So of course, I'm a political nerd, but this also deals with entertainment. So I am so sick of the Grand Insurrectionist Party, formerly known as the GOP, that served in the Trump administration. I don't know why I said his name. I wish they would stop giving these fools a fucking platform. Like this week, last week, it was Stephanie Grisham. This week, it was, this past week, it was, uh, what's that, Alyssa Farah Griffin? And yeah. And she found out up here on there the most on that on the show which i'm like and she's a cnn political commentator like seriously girl and then her opinion just on yeah you know this president can do something with ukraine and all of this stuff she mansplained on that and she's like well i'm ukrainian and blah 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 and so i'm like girl if you're ukrainian and you're so passionate about the situation in ukraine why for the last four years, because you worked for Pence and then you worked for the bump as his White House communications director. Why you didn't say anything when he withheld the money from the military money that were that was um, allocated by Congress of 400 over 400 million dollars for them to fight off, you know. Military aid to fight off uh, of Russia. I'm, I'm like swearing at my words because I'm like I'm so sick of these motherfuckers having a platform on shit like The View and shit like that. You want to have everybody's views. I'm just like, seriously, sis? And it's just like, she she just creeps me out. Her, her smile, just her skinny bones, her very skinny bones just freaked me out. So y'all, y'all want to come after them? Go ahead. I, I'm just like picturing when you say skinny bones that freak me out. I just think Skeletor. 
<laughs> he does look like Skeletor. Do not disrespect Skeletor. Do not. I'm not, I'm not. But that's what comes to mind. <laughs> Why? I The hypocrisy of it. I mean, if she's Ukrainian, she was working for Pence. Like Shantae said, why the fuck didn't she say anything when they were trying to basically extort Ukraine? Where was her loyalty to her country then that she's claiming now? You know, I'm so tired of these people trying to rehabilitate because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of these people rehabilitating themselves just like some of these celebrities. I'm so sick of them rehabilitating themselves when they were OD problematic and not just with political stuff, but just... Just stop. Uh, just, just, just stop. Like how Lauren like will say, just, just, just stop. It's just so ignorant, and it just—it's so dishonest. It's so frustrating, and it makes me frustrated. And the fact that we're propping up Elizabeth Lynn Cheney as a hero for democracy—it just makes me mad. So kudos to the View for checking. Well, one person in the View checking that shit. Who checked her? Sunny. Of course. Of course, it was Sunny. I don't know. She she be checking people when she needs to. You know, sometimes I I look at Sonya a little bit like, did you really just say that or did you just allow that? But most of the time she comes through. <laughs> All right, who's who's next on Shantae? Right. Well, thank you, Shantae, for that. Because you know, we can always talk about how the GOP is a bunch of idiots. I mean, evergreen. So, Sarah, what is your shot for this week? So, this one, surprisingly, I know I'm going to blow y'all's minds on this one. It's not political. Um, I uh, wanted to take a, I just wanted to bring up that um, I just completed an anti-racism course that, is, that was founded by Leisha Michelle, who I believe all of us are followers of Leisha Michelle and her Twitter handle is at Leisha Michelle 11. Um, but she founded this anti-racism course, uh, it's called Real Talk. And it's this course where you go through and it's, it is not a safe space for white people. I will say that. Um, you definitely work a lot on responses to how you're, when you get called in. Um, but basically it's just this course that teaches you pretty much to not be an asshole and to not be a racist. And it's really good. I just, I just completed it. And uh, she's actually coming out with a book in July called uh, The White Allies Handbook. And I'm really excited about that. But uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw that in just because if any of our listeners are interested in uh, furthering their anti-racism work or starting on a journey to becoming an ally, then check it out. How long is the course? Uh, this one that I that I just did was three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's good. It's really good. I definitely recommend it to um, every single white person that listens to us. <laughs> And can I also add white Latinos to that list? They need to listen to that shit. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. How about the white people that just keep just like tweeting shit and like, oh, but I didn't mean that. No, the fuck you did. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> recommend the course. Definitely recommend the course. Yeah. What's the, what's its format? Um, there is, they invite you to, uh, once you sign up for it, um, it's a nominal fee. Um, but once you pay, get everything sorted, they invite you to a private Facebook group oh, Okay. and they've got all the course materials and everything. And, uh, you meet once a week via zoom where you okay. have discussions as a class and you go through different exercises and role play and things like that. So it's white people do it. <laughs> should be required. <laughs> it should yeah. if you if you are white, it should be required. Yeah, I agree. I looked at that, into that, but it just wasn't fitting in with my time frame. But I have her book on order, and I'm really excited. Me too. I pre-ordered it, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm a nerd with books, so I'm excited for that one. <laughs> we love to read. We love to read here at Unapologetically She. Read a damn book. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> 
All right. And and on that note, Katie, what do you have for us this week? Well, this one I have debated for a couple of weeks of bringing this up because it is a topic that is kind of hard to talk about for various reasons, but I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to bring it up because I think it needs to be talked about. Um, Brittany Griner, uh, WNBA player that is currently Mm -hmm. in Russia during the off season plays for a Russian club there was arrested February 17th. We actually finally got the date when she was actually arrested was February 17th for carrying supposedly essentially uh, vape pins that had hash oil in it. Um, she was coming in from New York. Um, whether she was carrying it or not is obviously very speculation. And there was it went a month long before anybody even knew she was made news that she was even arrested her family in the state department knew but that was about it um and it has been some controversy to bring up whether to even talk about or bring it into the news it being a political situation that it is right now that it's you know do we bring it up does it make it worse does it make her more valuable asset to russia making her even more political turmoil, but I mean, she is a LGBT member, black woman in Russia, obviously not the best of circumstances there. And I think, I do think it needs to be talked about more than it is. And I understand the hesitation for some people to not make her a political ally ploy, but there are other US citizens that we have found out recently that have been arrested as well. And that I think it's something that needs to be discussed. She finally made a court appearance this week. For some reason, they extended her uh, detention for another two months till May. They haven't really set a court date as yet, but there was visual confirmation of her walking through court with her Russian um, out the lawyer team that she does have there. Um, she made a very stern look at the camera, which I appreciated um, on Thursday or Friday. And so there is confirmation that she is alive and that she's currently being housed in a jail with two other women that are facing similar charges right now. So there's, we're getting some more information, but the consulate has been trying to get in touch and which is a very common thing with political prisoners like this, but they've been denied access, which is very unusual. So it's, it's a sticky situation right now and scary for her, for sure. I was aware that she was detained, but I haven't really been up on all the details of it. I, because when I read that she was, I my first thought was, okay, is this retaliation for us aiding Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Uh, she's played in Russia at least five years now. She knows the rule. She's not a stupid woman at all. Yeah. Um, this it, The timing of it was very suspicious. She was coming back from New York because she wanted to play. Because, you know, most women that play in the WMA have to go overseas to compensate the rest of their life to be able to afford to live life, which is a whole other issue. But yeah, because the NBA, oh. WNBA doesn't pay Jack. No, it doesn't. Never has. You, I, I have thoughts on because I, I had brought this up before on Twitter, and I had people come at me on it um, because of the argument that you know making her a bigger target for the Russians, uh, for Putin, you know that her family didn't want to talk about it, the State Department wasn't talking about it, and it wasn't so much that. Um, if you went back through the reporting, you'd see that her wife had made a statement about her concern with it. Um, she'd made public statements. It was aired on news. It was in you know media whatever uh state department hasn't really said anything because they haven't been able to communicate to communicate with russia you know but at this point you know where you know people are making the argument that we're making her a bigger target i'm sorry but vladimir putin knows exactly who the fuck she is yeah she's famous you know she is exactly and he's a racist yeah exactly (laughs) this isn't a matter of making her a bigger target for him because he already knows yeah, she was already targeted. Exactly. She's, <laughs> she's detained. Targeted. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to use this as a power play. And I'm honestly, I'm just kind of terrified for her. I am too. I'm, I'm really, really, I can't get past the, the fear of what might be actually happening to her all day long. Yeah. Th- thank you, Katie, for letting us know that she's like 
made an appearance so that we at least know that she's alive. Because I've, I've been wondering. I've been wondering yeah. if it yeah. just completely Thank disappeared. You, I, I check daily. She's, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. So, and I, I was very familiar with her. She's a phenomenal player. And yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. That shot needs more chasers because that has me really worried. Um, but moving on, Lauren Ashley, what shot do you have for us today? So my shot is lighter than everybody else. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> In keeping with my um, wanting to, as an artist, keep with the arts with mine, and I'm wearing the right color. So last week I was hanging out with a friend who was like, you've got Disney Plus, right? I was like, yeah. And he was like, let's watch Turning Red. And I was like, okay. And oh my God, you guys, the movie, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. It's um, for people who don't know, it's the new Pixar movie. It's the newest Pixar movie. So it came out last, last week. So it was like the day after it premiered. He was like, let's watch Turning Red. And it is about a young um, Chinese Canadian girl in Toronto who through her matrilineal line, um, <laughs> it's an allusion to getting your period. Um, the women in her family turn into red pandas, like it's like tied to puberty, but the way that they handled it, the fact that they were talking about puberty, um, because this is like, um, it's an illusion of puberty, but also without spoiling because it happens when it happens, there is period talk in the movie. And like, as a lifelong Pixar fan and as a woman who was formerly a little girl, it was just like the fact that they were talking about periods and puberty in a Pixar movie was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, the um, animation is absolutely freaking beautiful. And it was just, it was, and then also dealing with the teen emotions. So it's set in the early 2000s. I am like that girl's age. So I was like, this is me, this is me. Her reactions to things, she's like big into fangirl culture and boy bands. I was like, this is me, this is me, this is me. But yeah, that's my shot. My daughter is seven and absolutely loves it and has already decided that when she grows up, she wants to marry the lead singer of Four Town. <laughs> uh, yes, Four Town is the boy band. Is the boy yes. band from the movie yeah. Yes. And did you, did, you, did you know that was actually the original music for that was actually written by Billie Eilish and her brother? I found that out the other day. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. But that's like, that's my daughter's newest favorite thing. I can't wait to see the movie. You know, I saw people, you know, the bros on Twitter just having complete meltdowns about, oh, there's no audience for this. But like, hello, more than half the population has been that girl at some point. So yeah, there is I wish for that. Yeah, like I wish at that age that I had Disney movies or other animated movies like that to talk about my period. Right, because yeah. like, it's, it's like a scary thing. Like you can't talk about puberty because remember, I was, Lauren Ashley and I are around the same age. I'm a little older than she is. And well, a year older. And so I remember when, you know, sexual education was stopped being taught because of W. Bush, mm -hmm. 43, and all of this movement of abstinence and everything. And those are the same fucking kids that go around and get pregnant and have STDs and shit like that. So it's just like, you know, having a movie to talk about your it's so healthy body yeah it mm -hmm. is it's a good thing because some people dance around that like you don't want to find out when you go to school and it's like what's this blood coming from my underwear <laughs> that's embarrassing i know that first period is just the awful. freaking worst it is. oh yeah. my god it what is horrible I, about oh. it it doesn't help so it, i yeah it was funny because yeah. this was actually gonna be my second shot and chaser <laughs> yeah, so because I loved the movie and it was five you know I didn't really have anybody to talk to growing up that age and mine came super early and I was like what the fuck is going on what the hell is this and uh, I and, cried yeah. I cried like the first I'll time I, I I pulled down my pants luckily I was at home I pulled down my pants and I thought I thought like somehow like I'd gone to the bathroom in my pants and not known it or something oh no yeah and like I just looked down and like like my mom and my grandma had to explain to me what was going on and I just sobbed for hours I just cried 
I was. I used to pray that mine just wouldn't come. I was like, yeah, I want to be a mommy someday, but like, I don't want that. So like, maybe it won't happen. And then I think I woke up and it had, and I was just like, ugh. And then my mom told my grandmother and I was like, ugh, it's just, so that movie, but I also want to say not just the, the period stuff, but also just like having a female led movie. I haven't connected to, and I love Pixar. This is the first Pixar movie that I connected to like on like a super, super, super deep level since Brave, which also mother-daughter relationship. And it's funny because my brother brought it up the other day because we were talking about Encanto and I was like, I liked it fine, but people were like, you know, really crazy about it. And he was like, well, that's because you don't have that family structure. He was like, but Merida, you have her mother. And I was like, that's true. And this was like the same thing. I was like, she's Ch- she's Chinese Canadian and I'm black, but that's my mom. That's my mom in this movie. Oh my God, I love it. I'm gonna definitely have to watch it this week. You have to. Watch it it's so good. Well, for my shot this week, I kind of wanted to talk about, can two things be true at the same time? So <laughs> we've been watching over the last few weeks, a lot of the behaviors exhibited by Kanye West towards and in relation to um, the relationship with his soon-to-be ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, her new boyfriend. Um, so I was really, you know, at first everybody was kind of joking about it. Ha ha ha. He's clowning Pete Davidson. It's so funny. I didn't find it funny at all. I honestly, I've barely commented about the topic at all publicly because it made me really uncomfortable. There are so many disturbing red flags, um, videos depicting him decapitating her boyfriend and burying him half alive. Um, you know, just using their children and information about them publicly to kind of bully her into things, you know, all of it just screams abuser, abuser, abuser to me, you know, and it brings back things that I experienced as a child in my own household. And it made me really fearful for what is going to happen. And I hope nothing does, you know. I hope it doesn't get to that point, but I don't like where that's heading. And I fear for those children. And, and I kind of fear for Kim Kardashian, even though she's not my favorite person. And I don't think she's anybody's favorite person, especially since this past week, that ding dong. Okay. Cause I can't even fucking, I'm trying to be nice right now, but she had the balls on women's history month. Okay. Right around equal pay day to say that, you know, her advice to women is to get off their asses and get to work because nobody wants to work anymore. And I was like, what the fuck, Kim? Like you had me right there. I was softening on you a little bit, you know, fuck. I mean, so to her, I'd like to say every single one of us, and I will venture out to say every single woman in the world virtually works their ass off. And we don't all come from you know, a super rich family. We don't have a silver spoon in our mouth to help us start our new endeavors. And, you know, I just want to let women know that she does not represent most of us. We, we, most of us don't think that, okay? We know that you're out here working, whether you're at a stay-at-home mom, whether you're working a city job, whether you're working in a factory, whether you're working on a farm, Um, in a school, in a, you know, in a courtroom, wherever that may be, you're working your ass off. You're doing great, sweetie, to steal her mom's fucking uh, quote. But can two things be true at the same time? Can we be super angry at Kim Kardashian for her dumbass comments and also be fearful for her safety at what is clearly a really bad situation? Well, I'll just like to say this, like Kanye hasn't been stable, honestly, since his mom died back in 2007 that mind has gone elsewhere so i'm not surprised i stopped paying attention to him a long time ago with his antics because he's just out of control he needs help mm-hmm. but i feel for kim kardashian and her kids but 
I don't pay attention to them either, nor her caring ass mother, you know, because like the fact is that they can just say things out of their mouth to people and you having sex and having children from black men, your daughters, practically all of them. I, I don't, I'm not sure about Kendall, but all of your children have kids by mostly, I think, except Courtney, have kids by black women. How dare you? I wanted to just add not it, it wasn't just on the heels of whatever shit she said like a week ago but it was also on the heels of that and the thing is like I have her name I have her name muted because I don't want I like I just I'm like you Shantae like I don't want to hear it I don't I've never I'm not a reality tv person like period but like that family and the culture vulture nature of them just like uh so there's that and then there's also Kanye who I try not to pay any attention to um like I feel like like most millennials was a big fan and then once he started showing his ass it was like I don't want to deal with this but I wanted to add it wasn't just coming on the heels of her of that but also her little photo shoot which again I was really furious to even see because I was like I have her muted so I shouldn't even know about this where she was channeling her inner black woman and I just, but um, Eliane, you're right. Two things can be true at once. Um, he is engaging in abusive behavior. Some of the stuff that you said, because I have like her name muted and I think also his, like I wasn't aware like this, that he wants Pete Davidson. Death. I didn't even know that she was with him. So yeah, like, yeah. So like, that's true. Like that that's abusive behavior and it's disgusting and it's deplorable, but also that, I mean, like she and her family are, culture vultures and not the best people and engage in some super racist behaviors while also stealing from black women because that's another thing that they regularly do one of her sisters i think had like a fashion line and she's like regularly stealing from and i'm like why do i even know this i ugh. but i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop <laughs> thank you and and on that note we're gonna close out the shot and chaser segment thank you ladies and Next, we are going to read receipts with Shantae. Good day, everyone. This is Read Receipts. You know, this segment, Read Receipts, is when we bring out the receipts on the absolute worst. So white feminism. We all know white feminism has been a fucked up part of our history since, I guess, the beginning of time. Go back to Susan B. Anthony. Ask her. Ooh. She's not here no more, right? So, but there are Susan B. Anthony's of the world, right? There are some other active feminist, feminists from the feminist movement of the 1960s. They're still, act, yeah, quoted activists in the world. So I was so pissed off of Jane Campion. Jane Campion, the New Zealand director of the Oscar-nominated film, King Richard. I would like to read her quotation as well as this clout-chasing um, resistor named Linda. But I would like to read Jane Campion's statement first, because you know she made a statement about how you can see the video on how she was like, Venus and Serena, you guys are, you know, you guys, battle the men and whatever, but I'm been here, I've been doing, I've been, I forgot what the fucking quote was, but it was very fucking offensive. So her team- You haven't, out, you haven't had to go through what I have. That's okay. Woman. Yeah, she said, you guys are marbles, but I've had to fight against the men. Girl, bye. I couldn't remember cause I was so fucking mad when I saw the video. So, cause it went viral. But there was a statement from her PR people and it says this, I made a thoughtless comment equating what I do in film world, in the film world with all of that Serena Williams and Venus Williams have achieved. Campion said in a statement in Vanity Fair, I did not intend to devalue these two legend, legendary black women and world-class athletes. The fact is the Williams sisters have actually squared off against men on the court and off. And they both have the bar, excuse me, raise the bar and open doors for what is possible for women in the world. The last thing I would ever want to do is minimize remarkable women. I love Serena and Venus. Their accomplishments are titanic and inspiring. Serena 
and Venus, I apologize and completely celebrate you. Bitch. And I don't like to call no woman no bitch, but let's just be real. Now, Linda, the clout chasing resistor, follow me back. Those fucking nasty hashtags that on Twitter and wherever else, like nobody give a fuck, had a lot to say about the vice president. And I will share more of those in the later Patreon special. But there's one I would like to that stuck out to me the most. So here it is. Why can't all capital women make statements about how we would be, how will we would like our first female VP behave? I don't like her schoolgirl giggles. I don't. I work almost exclusively with men nearly my whole career. It is not easy to be taken seriously. Giggles in very serious moments don't help. Like Linda, you old retired shrivel up old nasty wrinkly mother looking ass bleep. Let me just say this to you. First of all, the VP is respected on the international stage because that's what she was referring to her international appearance with the Polish president. And if you were referring to the laugh, first of all, he laughed first and she smiled and they were going to help people. So Linda, you should have watched the whole motherfucking video and press conference. Everything's available on YouTube. Google is motherfucking free. Take advantage of it, as I always say. But no, your white ass wanted to white woman splan and comment in my mentions. That's how this shit first fucking started. You should have never started with me. You should have never slid in my mentions, replied to other shit indirectly, and then apply, then reply to me, because now you're being featured on read receipts on unapologetically she, getting blasted for filth, and will be blasted more and more each and every day. Ladies, I need y'all y'all opinions because. <laughs> yeah, I just I just, just watching Lauren Ashley die, die over here. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, Linda, you fucked up. Okay, Linda, Linda. I can't even. Linda, white woman here, okay? Shut the fuck up and stay in your lane. Maybe white ally handbook. Yeah, maybe maybe we are the white allies here. I will buy this bitch a copy and send it to her. Just so she can read it, because she needs to learn a few lessons in life about how to fucking stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, been, I've been off. Working, working with men her whole life and her whole career. and Well, no shit, bitch. You sound just like them. Criticizing <laughs> a woman for her laugh? Sit the fuck down. And so as I like to say this, as I conclude my side of read receipts before you guys have a minute to say something, I should say this. The reason why I read Jane Campion's statement and Linda's tweet is because there are both white women of the same coin. They may be in different career paths, but they share the same ideology. It's called being a Karen and I can't help my fucking self. <laughs> it's giving me... <laughs> Is giving me 53% energy. <laughs> it, and when you said the thing about, cause I, I've been off of Twitter for like a little bit, just taking care of personal stuff. So I, I wasn't aware of Linda and her foolishness, but as you were talking, I was like, this sounds like when I was like a very small child hearing white women complaining about who laughing, the one that they couldn't vote for because you know, you know, and it's, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting. The internalized misogyny that comes with white feminism. It's like baked into Ooh. it, baked into it. It is literally baked into the sauce. It is. Oh my Lord. Oh my Lord. Linda, you fucked up. Now you're, <laughs> now you're here on unapologetically. She reversed and read by Shante. You should have just stopped. Should have just stopped. Should have just sat down and shut up and eaten your crackers <laughs> with some English tea. So that is 
a wrap for read receipts coming up will be our exclusive interview with the one and only dr candace m rouser welcome back to another episode of unapologetically she we have one of the greatest people on twitter in my opinion and may and all the other host on here opinion she is an historian have degrees more than all of us here combined together <laughs> and just a great person on twitter and in real life like let's keep in mind she's one of the first people i actually met on twitter today besides meeting some other twitter people in person that's in the greater new york area no other introduction I can give, historian, teacher, educator, the wonderful Dr. Candace R. M. Rouser. Hello, ma'am. Welcome, Dr. Rouser. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi, ladies, especially the month that we're talking. This is Women's History Month, so hi, ladies. <laughs> Hi, so great to have you here, friend. It's, it's, it's an honor to have you. You know, I was kind of nervous as a friend. We all was nervous. Like, can we have Dr. C? Can we have Dr. C? And Sarah's like, can we have Dr. C? And just like, of course, let's get Dr. C. And you didn't say no. You just answered the call. So we graciously, graciously, thank you. See, I'm like tripping on my words. Okay, so let's just get in to this interview. So, Doc, we all know you have touted out that you are an educator and you teach history, different forms of history, world history, African-American history, histories of the origins of Africa, world history, US history, government, politics, etc., in all age groups. So we want to know, how did you start your career? How did your career in education begin? And did you always want it to be an educator? So, um, no, I did not always want to be an educator. I actually wanted to be a lawyer. Being an educator was my plan B. Um, I did not get into law school. I did not score the required score for the um, LSAT. So when we hear about standardized examinations and things like that, <laughs> um, I think a lot of people that know me at this time in my life, even my former students are just like, are you serious? Cause you're freaking phenomenal. Um, and it was 20 years ago, actually, that I was a senior in college. I had taken an LSAT at my campus um, and I applied and I got rejection letter after rejection letter. And my second eldest sister said to me, um, we all know you're smart and you didn't get into how many schools? And I said, 16. And she said, maybe that's not what God wants you to do. Um, she was the one that drove me to take the LSAT for a second time in New Jersey. Um, I did better that time, but I just, you know, decided not to continue and, and try again. I went and I took the GRE and I applied for master's programs. And um, when I finished my master's, I came back to, to the city because I went up to Albany, to our state capital. And my late non-blood cousin, but you know how some cultures do, we make people our family. He told me about being a substitute teacher and that's how I got into the schools. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, I've been, thank you again, Dr. C for joining us. I've been super excited because I was a history major myself and have been a history nerd since I was little. Um, so what was it about history that you chose to be teach? <laughs> so, um, you know, when I went to undergrad, you know, my mindset was the lawyer thing and it didn't matter, but what his, what, what it, I took some of everything, but what excited me about history was just like learning about the amazing things that people did. And like, for me, even in teaching history now, like, 
you know, you have to tell the story for a good reason on the positive side for people to be inspired by what people were able to achieve, achieve even at a time when there were fewer resources. And then on the negative note, like we're kind of living in our world right now <laughs> with unnecessary conflict is what not to do, um, you know, pick up for those, those the, the negative aspects of the record so that, you know, we don't repeat them. But unfortunately, as humanity, we kind of get an F on that one. <laughs> so yeah, just, I was just inspired by the things that people did. happens to me every time when i speak i forgot to press the unmute button crazy right so doc <laughs> so let me just move this over right here so during your tenure as an educator what was some of your achievements like what did you achieve what you felt was your best achievements um wow um just that the sporadic um, feedback of uh, some years ago, one student saying like, this was the first time in my life that history was not boring. Um, and it was af actually African history. Um, I think that there's a message or it says something when I've had political science students, um, particularly American government and politics and international relations students, and then actually a world history student say, Professor, why don't you run for office or why don't you run for president? And I always kid and say, stop trying to get extra points, like get out of here. You know, they always laugh, but um, you know, it's <laughs> like uh, they can see something else. Um, you know, one actually in 2017, when that clown was occupying our White House, um, I can't stand the man. I'm sorry. If that's not professional, I don't care. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, you should run for president because um, you're inspiring. And, you know, I thanked her and I had to crack the joke like, hey, stop trying to get extra points. But I, I, I think that that moment was one of, you know, the highest achievements for me. And then, you know, we have these little ceremonies because it's me I always say it's this little thing but if it was somebody else I'd throw a parade for them that's just me um but just having the uh we had these faculty awards at one of uh, the colleges where I worked and you know just when you did anything like a presentation or a publication they celebrated your activities and your contribution to education and scholarship so just just those things or you know what I'm sorry I got one last one <laughs> um being observed, finding out the senior colleague observing me was very strict when assessing fellow professors and teaching a course that I actually don't have a degree in, even though some of my studies overlaps with the overall subject matter and being called a pedagogue of superior ability. And the whole time I was standing there, I was just nervous, like, what is he writing? What is he writing? And, you know, it just was like, what? You know, <laughs> I was like so unsure. Um, you know, I just did my job, but I was just like, what is he writing? What is he writing? You know, you're on pins and needles because you're being judged in that moment. Um, and, and seeing that after just four years of working at the college level, um, being considered that by a strict senior colleague is just like one of the highest compliments ever. All right, I'm sorry, um, apologies if you can hear my microwave. My husband is heating up my coffee for me. Um, so I am, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited that we're able to speak with you today. Um, did, you, did you have any challenges during all, during all of this and with your teaching background and everything? Um, and if so, what were those challenges and how did you overcome them? <laughs> challenges um the number one challenge that um takes the cake that I have not overcome is to um attain a full-time position a tenure track position um I'm not sure what's really what's really going on um you know there's some people um you know with more life experience that try to help me understand what's happening and I'm still working on um, with Pat, which path I should actually take, but um, 
not being able to secure a full-time job in higher ed, um, you know, it's a supposed quote shortage, um, but it's very coincidental when that shortage is, shortage is occurring. Um, our classic isms, I think, and then I don't know, like, you know, I'm like, obviously I must be falling short somewhere, but then at the same time, uh, from the eyes and, and ears of other people, um, they see and hear something different about me. And some people, you know, uh, like Shantae recently is like, how are you not tenured somewhere? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, but that's the number one challenge I can say um, is functioning in an, in an institution, in an industry, in this country that is uh, dominated by people who have a lot of power and influence and who decide that certain people should not be, should not be able to function <laughs> in our uh, industry of enlightenment. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so upsetting. We see that happen. I mean, we know why it's happening. We can all venture a guess as to why that is. I mean, look at what happened with Nicole Hannah-Jones. You know, you have an award-winning book and study out and you're still being blocked from those positions. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but I'm really excited to have a chance to speak with you because as a historian and you know, you're teaching to older students, I'm an elementary school teacher. So I was wondering what advice would you have to uh, elementary school teachers on how to teach real history to children of that age? Oh gosh, um, that was kind of the idea I had in assembling my, uh, my first book, which is a, a book of lectures. And I was hoping that um, I would be able to share it with um, educators at the earlier levels because you guys are bring, you guys are passing your folks up to me, and uh, to you know give some kind of tips and things like that. But um, it's it's very challenging because you all have a dictated curriculum, and that is one of the reasons I did not continue pursuing certification in New York because I took the exams. Um, I did not continue with that because I did not want to be dictated. And now I'm living with you all <laughs> as a fellow educator, um, like the confirmation as to why. But um, I, I, all I can say is whatever is allowed in the curriculum, please be true. You are a servant. Um, you are a shepherd of the mind. So please be responsible with that. Um, I remember one day in the first school, which was in uh, District 12 in the Bronx, I can't remember the school number, but I was with some sixth graders. Um, and those of us who are from New York and places like New York, you know certain neighborhoods are primarily serving um, um, African-American and Spanish-speaking communities, Black and Brown. And I uh, tried so hard not to cry because I um, came in with like some African attire one day. And so the kids were looking and they were asking. And so I shared with them my experience, my study tour as a master's candidate. And um, they were just, you could hear a pin drop. And one brown boy, his name is Alex. I remember his name because my grandfather and brother and uncle, they all have that same name. And he said to me, Miss Rouser, you know, when you come back, if our teachers apt, and when you come back, can you come? Can you teach us more African American history? And I just wanted to go through the floor. <laughs> I, I was just like, wow, you know, um, that was like the first time. Um, I sang for the kids. I sang the South African national anthem for them, and they just their faces were like sons. You know, it was like so. You know. I guess do your best to fit it in, especially the social studies content when we have those months. Like I think May, please don't get that with me. I need to get that together. But I think, I think May might be Asian American History Month. I'm not even sure, but like you know how we have those, you know, our months circulating around our our diverse communities in our country. Do your best to 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 fit the curriculum as to how they will quote allow you because it is very important that the kids see themselves reflected in the story of humanity. Dr. Rouser, 
So just to pivot a little bit, we can get to know a little bit more about you. What is a show or a podcast that our listeners would be surprised that you really enjoy? Oh, wow. I, I am, I'm a geek. So, so I don't have like, I just, well, I just actually rented Girls Trip as a movie like four or five years later. And, you know, just for the laughs, I knew it would be funny. Um, so yeah, um, I, I listen to the serious podcast. I listen to the news, you know, like, um, some of the NBC evening lineups and I prefer the podcast because when somebody's on and I'm really annoyed with them, I can just skip forward. <laughs> um, you know, I respect and love those guys, but sometimes they have some people on It's like, what? Um, yeah, I don't pretty, I don't watch TV too much. I, I'm, I'm geeked out. <laughs> I'll say it like that. Um, but I'll, I don't think that people will be surprised. You know, those who really know me, they know I love to laugh, but I love uh, reruns of the Martin show. Um, those of us of a certain age, like, you know, we were in middle school or uh, middle school or high school or whatever, elementary when that show came out. And they, he just was so silly and hilarious. And it doesn't matter how many times you see it, you're going to laugh. So when I definitely need a laugh, I'm putting Martin on. <laughs> I love it. I did definitely used to watch Martin. I think I must have been early elementary, not, not elementary, early middle school. <laughs> I would just crack up. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Candice. I loved speaking with you today and we got to find out a lot of interesting things about you and thank you for your insight as an educator. This concludes our interview with Dr. Candace Rouser this week. If you'd like to hear Dr. Rouser's full interview with us as well as other perks, become a patron on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thejoyfulsheet. Again, that's patreon.com slash T-H-E-E joyfulsheet. We'll be right back with Misinformation War Room. And welcome back to our next segment of Misinformation War Room. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Dr. Candace. It was wonderful. Um, so this week, a Misinformation War Room, which is where we take a topic that has been wholly misinformed in social media, mainstream media, and try and correct the course and get the correct facts of what is going on with this. This week's um, topic is going to be on Imagination Library, as there's been a lot of stuff going around misinformation for it. And of course, it all started with my stupid state of Kentucky here. Love it, but it pisses me off a lot of times. So um, right now we have a Senate bill, uh, 164, that has actually gone through the Senate and to establish a statewide Imagination Library program here. We already have it here, as I mentioned in our Patreon episode last week. And we're wanting to make it statewide. So last year we were designated a certain amount of money and they wanted to be able to make it a permanent thing. So they made it into a legislature bill this year to be able to take it to all 120 counties of Kentucky. And during the committee hearing for this on the Senate, um, Kentucky Senate, State Senator Stephen Meredith broached the question on whether Imagination Library program provides age-appropriate books and also subject-appropriate, which if you know anything about Imagination Library, you know that is something that is very true. I'll go into a little bit more background about it in a little bit, but I want to continue on. Um, of course, there was a big Twitter storm. Stella Parton tweeted the very next morning about it, went off on him. Not usually a big fan of her, but I appreciate what she said about this and going bring this to light. And then a Daily Coast article came out a couple of days later about it, where he doubles down on it. Like he very could have walked off the statement and been fine with it, wouldn't have had any major issues. But of course, being the dumbass that he is, he doubled down and continued to say that he worries that the administration library could be used to indoctrinate these young children with who knows what kind of ideology, the fuck. He also goes on to say that this is not a attack on Ms. Parton, but a way of controlling the program in the future when she no longer runs the program by putting guardrails in place for the future to protect children from content inappropriate for their ages and allow children to be children. 
I'm going to go into this a little bit more, but first I want to give a little bit of background of Imagination Library. So people that are not familiar with it understand what it is. It was started as an inspiration from Dolly Parton in 1995. Um, she grew up with a father that couldn't read or write. And she always read him her favorite book, Little Engine That Could. And he loved it. And she wanted to be able to create something that allowed books for kids, no matter their socioeconomic background, wherever they were, to have books from the age of birth all the way to five. First book they actually receive in their welcome packet is Little Engine That Could. And then all the rest of the books they determined through age appropriate and from age birth, if they are signed up that age, no matter what age, all the way up to when they turn five. And this started in her community. Um, and it has since, by, two th by the year 2000, it has gone, had gone national. And by 2006, it was in Canada. And by then 2007, it was in the UK. And since then it's now in Ireland, it's in Australia. It is a worldwide program now and with the continuation of it being a worldwide program. So there are kids all over this world that are getting books. And back to kind of what Senator Meredith was trying to touch on saying that this book need to be age appropriate. First thing with this, you can go on the website and I will post uh, the, the site, website, Imagination Library information page on our uh, page when this episode drops. Um, but one of the things that says, Blue Ribbon Book Selection Committee that includes a diverse panel of early childhood literacy experts, including Teresa Evans, venerable, a black woman librarian, Onyaya Kalami, who is an educator and also a doctoral candidate right now, and Diane Gibbons, who is a teacher as, a parent as teacher advocate. And there's six other people that are on this panel and that just for the US and they have it for each designation of area of where these books are being chose from. So they look at it and they're all, yes, they all through Penguin House Publishing. Um, anybody that wants to get involved with that, get a book through there. If you wanna get a book into it, try and get it published through them. But, um, so they have a very diverse and they actually have, you can look on their website in every single age that it has, it gives the topics of what, like birth, usually colors, pictures, books, those type of things. As they get a little older, they start to add more diversity to it. And one of the things is like each series of books, they designate should contain certain characteristics specific to its age appropriateness. The inspiration and imagination for the love of reading and learning is the base of Imagination Library, which includes a regard for diversity of people, their roles, culture, and environment, promotion of self-esteem and confidence, appreciation, art, and aesthetics. Update five. The fact that they, there are people out here that think that this organization is not sending age-appropriate books is BS. And a lot of that, I can't help think that it ties back into everything that's going on with CRT right now and the control of what needs to be taught in classrooms in regards to diversity and inclusiveness and the real history of this nation and this world that he was just trying to rile, find a way to rile up his base and get this question to make sure that it is written down in this bill that they are subject appropriate, which obviously they are. And, you know, with that, I, I just wanted to look to see how many anti-CRT bills there are. Every single state except for one has an anti-CRT bill in it. Um, Kentucky right now has four. New York has one that specifically bans the 1619 Project. Washington as well has that. Missouri, which has the total of most of all of them, 16 fucking bills to try and control what our teachers are teaching their kids. 16. Fuck that. <laughs> and there are some that are successful with it, and it's frustrating. But to go back to Metro Library and it being attacked, we want to know how, as of February 2022, how many books have been sent out worldwide? 176,606,329 books that are getting to children from age birth to age five every single month, free of charge to these kids. 
And I, that is it. That is oh, how that I is know. amazing. <laughs> I God love Dolly. Oh my right. God. Yeah. I love her. The fact that her father did not know how to read, which back in those days in the silent generation, yeah. they quit school like the third grade. Yeah. So yeah. She had to like work and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, reading to her father like that. Always, that story has always brought tears to my eyes when she talks about that. Oh, and, that yeah, that made me tear up. I was sitting yeah, over here taking my read to her father, and I love that the first book, no matter what age that they receive, is a little intricate. It's such a sweet. That's book. so perfect. It's perfect. It is, and it is. Go on to the website. Like I said, I will be posting it, and look what books are being sent out, and it is a very, very diverse. I attended the Dolly Parton Com- Imagination Library conference last year, and the amount of diverse authors that they had it's amazing and I think it that pisses off a lot of people that these books yeah you you just made me think of um you just made me think of because I've watched this movie a million times you just made me think of Gaston yes um (laughs) talking about Belle reading and he was like women start reading they start getting ideas and thinking Sorry, we're not indoctrinating kids with children's books. They're not, yeah. You can't have them using critical thinking, then they won't do what we tell them without question. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and and the fact is just a quick enough, the fact is that just a simple thing is that, you know, they try to put CRT, it's just insane. It is. You know? it is. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you but for that. We're going to shoot it over for our badass bitch ass. <laughs> Speaking of Dolly. Yes. She will, she will be coming up in this week's session of Bitch Ass and Badass of the Week. Um, so every week we do a survey, we do, or we do a poll from all of our listeners, uh, on who is going to be the bitch ass and badass of the week. Uh, bitch ass is obviously, you know, bad assholes, badass of the week. Good. Right. Simple enough. So our nominees this week for bitch ass of the week were Jane Campion, no surprise. And we discussed her earlier in the show with her bullshit comments about the Williams sisters and them not having to deal with what she had to deal for, deal with. And sit down, bitch. Second one, Cameron Caskey. Is that how you say his last name? Caskey? Uh, he was, this is what we're going back to. Can two things be true at once? Because one, yes, he was one of the kids in the school shootings in Florida. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, was that the name of the school? Parkland shootings. Yeah, Parkland. Yeah, the Parkland shootings. Um, but he's also talking shit about Joe Biden's record on LGBTQ plus issues and spouting off bullshit and misinformation in his tweets. Um, the next is the GOP. Uh, again, for their hypocrisy with Ukraine and everything else going on. And then the last one is Robert Reich, who was the former Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton, who was suggesting that our president, Joe Biden, go to Ukraine to meet in person with Putin and Zelensky because he's a foreign policy expert and he's a former secretary of state. Oh yeah, because that'll go well. Yeah, that'll that'll go well, you know, put Biden right where freaking Putin wants him. So our bitch ass of the week, drum roll please. Our bitch ass of the week with 49% of the vote, no surprise, Jane Campion. Deservedly so, that bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The yeah, fact absolutely. that I didn't remember the quote that she said because I was so fucking mad when I saw that shit. I was just like, you New Zealand colonizer, how dare you? How dare you? And she had me defending her earlier in the week because of Sam Elliott bitching about a movie not having having too homophobic, like... Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, it's like you, you, <laughs> yeah. you sit there, you, you, you stand up for someone and then they turn around and make you eat crow because they do shitty things. It's... white women oh i hate us not i don't hate us but i can't stand us (sighs) all right so our badasses of the week this is where dolly is coming back in our badasses of the week nominees are the new york state attorney general letitia james tish james and it's actually surprisingly not about the trump organization or the former squatter it is 
her determination to continue the nurse to continue the investigations into the nursing home deaths in New York State during the COVID pandemic. Uh, despite political pressure, she's keeping it going because we all know Tish doesn't give a fuck. She's gonna do the right thing. She's gonna do what she thinks is best. Second is Whoopi and Sunny for doing what they do and calling out the bullshit, calling it out on the view. The next is Congress for finally, finally, passing the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. Our country is how old now and just passed anti-lynching legislation? Oh, unanimously, by the way, which is great, but I wanna know why all of a sudden Republicans were on board with this, what changed their minds. Our last one, Dolly Parton for revoking her nomination to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because she felt that she didn't deserve that honor, which I think, and I think all of us think is bullshit because just because she doesn't sing rock and roll doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because how many non-rock artists are inducted and with all the things that she has done, she deserves it. So, badass of the week, drum roll please. 36% of the vote, Dolly Parton is our badass of the week. So deserving. And and you know what? Let's mention uh, AG James came in a very close second with 31. Yes. They were yes, all she did. points apart. Yes, so she did. Some badass women. They are. And yeah. my apologies. I was the one who posted the polls on Twitter. So my apologies <laughs> for forgetting the word investigating instead of it said continuing nursing home deaths in New York state, not continuing the investigations. Into <laughs> ah, we're like, wait, hold up. She's not killing my, my apologies for that. That was totally my fault. Poor Tish. <laughs> those are our bad, those are our bitch ass and badass of the week. Oh my God. That was a great group of badass women. I have to say with the exception of, you know, the whole of Congress. I love that our badass nominees were mostly women this week. Mm -hmm. And on that note, thank you everyone for sitting in with us for another episode of Unapologetically She. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to our podcast. Till next time. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Unapologetically She. I'm Eliane. I'm Shantae. I'm Sarah. I'm Lauren Ashley. I'm Katie. Make sure to stay tuned for next week when we will be discussing our next Shot and Chaser, Misinformation War Room, our read receipts, and our bitch ass and badass of the week. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at the T-H-E-E Joyful She. Again, at the T-H-E-E Joyful She. We'll see you online.